are getting very close. Modern medicine is closing in on hair loss solutions and I've got the latest scoop for you right here. Hair loss can occur in many different patterns on our scalp. One of the most common results caused by an autoimmune disorder is known as alopecia areata. It's random and it can happen to anyone. It doesn't happen all over your head though. It can happen instead just in small round patches. The reason I wanted to approach this subject is because many people have seen it and experienced it, but nobody really understands it. It's even difficult for many medical professionals to fully explain it and tackle it. This is why I had to catch my next guest while I was at a conference in Toronto. His name is Rodney St. Clair, and there is no one more qualified on this subject than him. He is a professor of dermatology at the University of Melbourne. He's published in the Oxford Textbook of Medicine. In Australia, he's the director of St. Clair Dermatology, where he conducts laboratory-based research into hair loss, genetic diseases affecting the hair, autoimmune diseases of the skin, and stem cell biology. St. Clair Dermatology has discovered and patented new treatments of hair loss that are currently undergoing clinical development and making waves. Prepare to get a little technical, a little scientific, and a little blown away. It's all beyond worth it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Hair Like Hers, a show that's all about women's hair health and wellness. I'm your host, Shab Breslin, and today, alongside my guest, Dr. Rodney St. Clair, the focus is on alopecia areata, which is hair loss in the form of small, round patches that can be quite frightening, especially for a new sufferer. We're recording from the 2019 World Trichology Conference being held in my very own hometown, Toronto, Canada. Welcome to the show, Dr. St. Clair. Thank you. We're very lucky to have you with us today, especially since you actually live in Australia, which you'll hear his amazing accent, and you're catching your flight back following our recording. Yep. All right, well, let's get right to it. So just from my own experiences from being behind the chair for over 16 years, I've witnessed alopecia areata on my clients, and in most cases, I'm the one that discovers that small hairless patch since it most typically occurs further back in the scalp. And let me tell you, that is not an easy conversation to broach. How do you describe AA to your patients when they experience it for the first time? And how do you approach this difficult experience? It's a really interesting thing because alopecia areata is the most common autoimmune condition in man. That's much more common than diabetes or rheumatoid arthritis or even thyroid disease. And yet no one's ever heard of it. When they get it for the first time, it always comes as a surprise. So it's thought that about 2% of the population will get alopecia areata at some point in their life. But the good news is that for most people, it's just a short, self-limiting episode. And for the vast majority of people, it comes and it's gone within six months and it might never come back again. Right. That's what I typically tell my clients, not to worry about it. And, and as much as I try and tell them that, because I've noticed in most cases, now you've obviously seen more people with this issue, but uh, for most cases, for me, from behind the chair, it's come back. I've almost never seen it not come back. So I, even though I try and reassure them, it's a really scary thing to try and convince them. I mean, they think it's the end of the world. One of the frightening things is that about 30% of people who get alopecia areata, it doesn't go away. It just keeps coming back again and again, month after month, getting new patches. And about 15% of people will actually go and lose every hair on their head, or sometimes even every hair on their body. And that really is a life-changing event. So if you, if you get dramatically obvious hair loss, then it really affects the way you feel about yourself and also affects the way other people interact to you. There was a, a lovely, 
I suppose it's not lovely, but there was a, a story at the London Zoo where one of the gorillas developed alopecia areata and lost all its hair, and none of the other gorillas would go near it. So they threw it out of the pack, and then when the, the dermatologist came in and treated the, the gorilla, its hair regrew, it was welcomed back wow. again. So I think what happens is we're almost primed instinctively to perceive these patches of hair loss as a danger signal. So when you see someone with a patch of hair loss, you tend to take a step back until you gauge and work out that they're, they're, not, they're not a threat to you. But I think that the people who have the alopecia really become aware that everybody is taking a step back and they really feel as though they're being treated like modern-day lepers and, uh, and ostracized. Yeah, I've seen it, I've, I've seen it completely debilitate people. Um, even, even though they can cover it up, it's, it's really, um, it's, it is that powerful, you're right. Are there any common markers or health conditions that you've noticed amongst AA sufferers? And, um, or can it really just happen to anybody? Well, it's a genetic condition, and some of the genes involved in making people susceptible to alopecia areata can also make people susceptible to other conditions. And so some of the other conditions include thyroid disease or some of the other autoimmune conditions, and they seem to cluster together. But there's about 17 genes that have been identified for alopecia areata, but no one's got all 17 of them. You know, the, even the severe people probably don't have more than four or five of them. So not everybody is going to have associated autoimmune diseases or thyroid disease. In fact, the vast majority of people we see don't actually have any other disease associations. There's been a lot of controversy about whether atopy is associated with alopecia areata, and I think the jury is still out. I think certainly the, the current textbooks would suggest that it is involved, but, um, but the evidence for that is, is lacking. And apart from that, there does seem to be a slightly higher association with iron deficiency in that the people who get alopecia areata seem to have low serum irons, but it's not known whether that's causative, and certainly fixing the iron deficiency doesn't make the hair grow back. Right, that's right. I mean, that can be found with any type of hair loss also. Have you noticed an increase in this type of hair loss over the past few years? I don't think the data is good enough to allow us to, to say that because there were a couple of good studies. There was one from the states that suggested the incidence was about 1.8% of the population. That was about 30, 40 years ago. Recently, there's been a couple of studies coming out of Korea and then one from Taiwan where they've got universal healthcare providers that collect data on disease activity. And looking at those studies, the incidence is probably a little bit higher, maybe somewhere between 2 and 3%. But it's hard to, first of all, they're different populations. So one's America, the other one's Asia. Right. Um, and then it's hard to know how well it was recorded in those early studies and whether we're just actually counting it better. Because certainly a lot of people, as you said, just get one patch, it's in the back of their head, they didn't even know it was there, it's found by the hairdresser, right. it suddenly regrows, they don't ever get to the doctor. You're right, a lot of them go untreated. Are there ways to prevent alopecia areata from happening the first time? I mean, I know you said that there aren't any common triggers that are obvious, but is there anything that people can do to, to prevent this from actually happening ever? I suppose there's two, two uh, components to that question. The first is that the very first episode comes totally out of the blue, and so no one's got any idea that it's coming. And it's only when you look backwards and try and work out, well, was there anything in my life that happened that might have triggered this? And when you do that, there's no real consistent theme. Sometimes there might have been a, a major stressful life event, but usually there's nothing that just brings it on, just comes out of the blue. And so in that situation, there's absolutely nothing you can do to prevent it. And certainly in the people who get patch after patch of alopecia areata, they go hunting around for 
a dietary ingredient or um, a nutritional deficiency or some sort of lifestyle event or stress. And no one's really come up with anything consistent. No one's found a way to avoid the trigger for the individual episodes. The one thing that does seem to make a difference is actually treating the condition. So if you've got one patch, you're much more likely to get a second. If you've got two, you're even more likely to get a third. And the more patches you've got, the greater the risk is of getting new ones. Right. And so if you can actually get an effective treatment and make it go away, then that will actually reduce your risk of getting new patches. Right. What methods of treatments do you apply for sufferers? Like, what do you do specifically at your own clinic? So the, the treatment's always a negotiation between the doctor and the patient. Because some people can have really minor degrees of hair loss, small patches, and it can be disrupting their life. They won't go out, they're, they're withdrawing socially, and they're totally devastated by it. While other people can have major bits of hair loss that you sort of think, hey, would I cope with that? And they seem to be doing fine, and they're totally unfazed by it. And so you've really got to make sure that you're treating the patient, not the hair loss. So you've got to work out what the patient's needs are. And if they are very distressed, then you're likely to be a little bit more aggressive in the treatment than someone who's actually coping quite well without the hair. Because at the end of the day, the hair loss itself isn't the disease. It's the impact it has on your psychological well-being. Right. Yeah, that's even more effective than anything. And, uh, and so if someone is coping pretty well and it's relatively limited disease, then we might just use injections of cortisone into the skin. And that's highly effective. And so for, for one or two small patches, what we often find is that uh, you know, with, with a single injection, you can get pretty close to 100% regrowth over a six-week period. Now, if people have got lots of patches, then they're going to need too many injections. So you know, once you're getting up to about 20% hair loss across your scalp, you're just going to need too many injections more than anybody can bear. And is that safe at that oh, point? It's still safe, but it's just uncomfortable. You know, but, you know, I think the, the, the maximum limit of injections you can do in a, in a single session is probably about 100. I think, I think once, you're, once you're doing more than 100 injections into someone's head, you need, they a, need break. a break. That's right. Yeah, understood. Finally, I just want to ask you something that I ask most uh, professionals that come on the show. What projections do you see for the future of hair loss treatments? Where do you see everything going? Well, I suppose, I suppose just finishing off the last question first. So if someone's got severe disease, it's too extensive for the injections, or they're really distressed by it or troubled, or if you get a sense that it's just about to go out of control, then you can use tablets. And the tablet that seems to work the fastest is prednisolone, good old-fashioned prednisolone, been around for 50 years. And how do you spell that? P-R-E-D-N-I-S-O-L-O-N-E. Okay. So it's a steroid tablet. It works really well. And for, the, you know, for 80% of people, you can turn it off. The problem is some people need to stay on the prednisolone to keep the hair there. And if that's the case, then prednisolone is not a great tablet to be taking long-term. Available in the U.S.? Yeah, it is available in the U.S. And so it's been around for 50 years and it's used for just about everything you can think of. It's otherwise known as steroid tablets. And so the the problem is when you give people steroid tablets, about 40% will regrow their hair and keep it. Fantastic. That's all you need to do. 40% will regrow their hair, but they start to lose it again, in which case they're going to need something to help maintain or or to help keep the hair that's regrown on their head. And then about 20% don't regrow it at all. And so if you've got someone who's not regrown with a prednisolone or it's starting to fall out again, then you've got some new options that are just starting to come through from the research world. And so when all the gene discovery work was done, uh, predominantly in the, in the States, but also worldwide, they identified a number of genes that belong to one inflammatory pathway. 
And fortunately, a number of drugs had already been developed for to specifically target that, uh, that pathway, particularly for rheumatoid arthritis. And so people were able to take these rheumatoid arthritis drugs, give them to people with alopecia areata, and lo and behold, they're getting great responses. So there's a bit of work that's still got to be done now to work out um, how well it works in alopecia areata, how best to use it, whether the doses are the same for alopecia areata or rheumatoid arthritis, and whether the one for rheumatoid arthritis is the best drug in that class, because there's about 40 or 50 drugs now being developed all in that class. And so we might actually have quite a a range of new options, which is really exciting because pretty much for the last 40 years, we didn't have a single new treatment. And now it looks like in the last couple of years, we've we've probably got 40 new treatments coming through. Very exciting. So everything's just being fine-tuned right now. Well, that's right. And these drugs are currently available in clinical trials. And if you go to clinicaltrials.gov, the website, you'll actually find out where these clinical trials are are being conducted. And if you do have severe alopecia outer, then you may be able to register and get enrolled in one of the clinical trials. Oh, that's interesting. If if there's not one near you, um, then hopefully within a year or two, these drugs will start to become more widely available. That's incredible. Regarding that final question of what projections do you see for the future of hair loss treatments? Well, I think what we've actually seen is alopecia areata was one of the most feared diseases because there was so much uncertainty. When you got that first patch, you didn't know whether it was just going to be one patch or whether you were going to lose everything and that was going to you know, for what many people describe as a, as a life-changing event, they say, you know, they can trace it back to the day their hair all fell out and everything changed in their life. So it creates a lot of fear. But I think now with these new treatments, a better understanding of the disease, the fear has gone out of that. And I suppose in terms of the horizons, there's a couple of other diseases we've also got to look at. So we've got to look at just common baldness. And I think we've made some great progress there in terms of finding new ways to use minoxidil in a good old-fashioned regain. I think we've found some better ways of using that. That's something I've been working on and uh, and we've actually developed some patented treatments using minoxidil as a tablet form, which is now undergoing clinical trials and hopefully that in a, in a few years will also become available. And then the final frontier will be the, the scarring alopecias. Rarer diseases, things like lichen planus, discoid lupus, again, uncommon but devastating to the patients, partly because of the uncertainty, partly because they're really hard to treat. So there's still still plenty of work to do, but uh, I think we can feel confident that uh, patients with alopecia areata, there's, there's a, a really promising horizon in terms of new treatments coming through. Incredible. Well, you heard it here first. It's all coming eventually. That's wonderful. Great developments. Happy to hear. Um, doctor, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your knowledge and enlightening us with the current and potentially the future state of where um, hair loss solutions are headed. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard and you can think of a few other women to share this podcast with, please do. I love reviews, so let me know your thoughts and other subjects that interest you. And don't forget to subscribe and listen in every other week. Follow us on social at Hair Like Hers Podcast or shoot us an email at grow at hairlikehers.co.